Hi there, welcome to the Second Adolescence Podcast. Here, we talk about all things queer healing and second adolescence. So what is second adolescence, you might ask? Second adolescence is a sort of developmental life stage queer people navigate in our post-coming out adult years after growing up within an anti-queer world. For many, second adolescence is about healing the wounds of our younger queer selves, gaining the experiences they missed out on, and unlocking what it means for us to exist as our most free and true selves. I am your host, Adam James Cohen, psychotherapist and human who went through his own second adolescence. On this week's episode, we have writer Lamia H, who uses she, they pronouns. I was so excited to have Lamia on the show because I absolutely loved their new memoir, Hijab Butch Blues, which you have to go out and get. We're gonna talk all about it today so you'll learn about it if you haven't heard about it already. It is so, so beautiful. And so I was just so excited to get to have them on to talk about it and to talk about their own personal journey. And yeah, we do talk about the book, what it was like for her to write it and be in such relationship with her younger selves in that process, how it's felt to put it out into the world and what her second adolescence and healing journey has looked like. This was such a beautiful conversation. I feel so excited that Lamia wanted to come on the show and feel really excited to be able to invite you all into the conversation. And as with each episode of Second Adolescence, I really want to invite you as listener to listen with open curiosity, knowing that each of our stories are different and unique. You might hear some guests share things that really differ from your experience, whereas other guests might share things that really speak to what you went through or are currently going through. And I really hope that all of this happens and that together we can continue growing and expanding our awareness of what life and queerness and healing can be for folks. If after the show you want to connect further, feel free to head on over to secondadolescencepod.com for show notes and more, or you can follow the show on Instagram at, at secondadolescencepod. All right, welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Okay, welcome to Second Adolescence. I'm really excited to dive in with you and so excited that you're here. Okay, but before going anywhere, I think there's going to be some folks who are listening that are familiar with you and your work and other folks are brand new. So wondering if before diving in, you can just give like a mini little intro to who the person is behind the voice. I like to provide a little context for folks. Yeah, thanks for having me on this podcast. My name is Lamia. Introductions always give me an existential crisis because it makes me be like, who am I? Who am I really? I live in New York. I use she, they pronouns. And I wrote a memoir called Hijab Butch Blues. The memoir is about growing up as a queer, Muslim, non-binary, womanish person in the world, about my experiences living in the U.S. I moved here when I was 17 from another country that I grew up in that was different from the one that I was born in. And so the experience of sort of like multiple displacements. And the memoir is written as chapters in which I look at a story from the Quran with different sort of like figures and like prophets um, from the Quran and really rethink and retell the stories as queer brown immigrant narratives alongside with stories from my own life. Yeah, I, I just have to say I'm so pumped to have you here because I tore through 
your memoir. I, it was so beautiful and so good and so moving. I'm reading it for mm. a second time right now. And so selfishly, I'm feeling like very giddy and a little nervous to have you on because this has just oh. been such a treat to be with you and your story. And like actually pause, like, I don't know what it's been like for you when you've been talking about the book being with people who've read your book, they know more about your story than you know about theirs. Like, is that weird? What's that like even in this moment? Oh my God, it's so weird. Um, (laughs) I think, and and it's so interesting because, you know, I'm a pretty private person. And so I feel like sometimes my friends will tell me that they read the book and learned all these things about me that they didn't know. Actually, the first time I gave the book to read to my partner, she was like, wait, what? Like, we had this, you know, experience together. I didn't know you were feeling all of these things. So it's been quite an experience because, you know, like writing a book is just such a like solitary thing. You know, you like sit in a room. Ideally, you know, you're on your own and not around a bajillion other people, but sometimes you are. It's just like such a solitary experience of like sifting through your memories and like reflecting and putting them down on the page. And then you give it to people to read and that just feels so vulnerable. And I feel like no one told me this. Why did no one tell me this about writing a memoir? And then the experience of talking about it has also been interesting because it's it's like another layer of vulnerability, really. So Totally. Well, thank you for being open to some vulnerability today, being able to talk more about your story, the book, and also kind of your life. I'd love to spend some time talking about the book because I definitely have some questions, but I'd love to kind of see where else the conversation goes. And so I guess, yeah, just starting with the book, I mean, yeah, as you mentioned kind of in sharing about it, I thought it was so interesting how you decided to structure it using these different stories and figures of the Quran as frameworks within your own story was told. How did you decide on the format of the book? It was so interesting. That's such a good question. Um, So I think like growing up, these stories were sort of like everywhere. At school, you know, I grew up going to an Islamic school and going to Quran class, but also just like in life, people were always talking about these stories or there would be like sermons or my parents would listen to the Quran on the radio. And so I just like, I feel like I grew up surrounded by these stories and I grew up reading a lot too. And one of my favorite things about reading is the way that it really lets you get into characters' heads and really think about sort of like their motivations and and really think through their dilemmas they're faced with and just have a lot of empathy and understanding of them. And so to me, the stories from the Quran felt a lot like that too, in the sense that I found myself wondering as I was growing up about these stories and being like, oh, you know, what were some of the things that these characters were feeling? How are the ways in which they were also complicated and messy and flawed? Like I think about Moses, for example, like talking to God or like hearing the voice of God. What was that like? Was he like anxious? Was he nervous? And so, I don't know, I feel like I grew up thinking about those things and asking those questions. And uh, the way that the essays sort of came about was this one year, me and my partner went to visit my family and I wasn't out to my family and we were pretending to be friends. And it was just like big, complicated thing where mm. on one hand, it felt really, really lovely that she got to meet my family. And on the other hand, it felt like really deeply sad too. We had to pretend to be friends, but it was on Eid. And on Eid, people are, you know, always talking about the story of Ibrahim, who was this prophet that this like holiday centered around. And there's this whole story 
where he thinks that God is telling him to sacrifice his son. And um, one of the things that I was thinking about a lot that year was about Hajar, who was the son's mother, like Ismail, the son's mother. And I was just thinking about how her story like doesn't get told in the way in which, you know, this is all centered around Ibrahim, but actually it's about her sacrifice and her child. And so I was thinking a lot about that story because it was Eid and while um, me and my partner were at my family's place. And so the parallels really jumped out. And so I wrote this essay where I explore my feelings through the lens of Hajar. And it's actually a chapter that comes towards the end of the book. So spoiler, if you haven't read it. From there, I found that in some ways, I had always been thinking of these figures and prophets as lenses into my own life. And I found that I had just so much to say in terms of reflecting on my life through the lens of these stories from the Quran mm. and the other chapters sort of wrote themselves in some ways. And how, yeah, how was it? Like, it's always interesting, this idea of looking at our stories deeply and whether that's the written form or talking with others or therapy or all these different spaces where we can really dive into the what, how, and why of us and looking at our younger selves all the way up until now. How was that for you to go back, not even just to, I mean, individually just going back and thinking about your own story, but then deciding to write it and what was the process of using writing as a tool to be with these younger parts of yourself? Yeah. What was that whole thing like? Honestly, it was hard and also cathartic in some ways. I don't know. Okay, so I came to this whole like feeling your feelings thing really late in my life. I didn't know that you were just supposed to feel your feelings as opposed to like suppress them down and, you know, wait for them to bubble up years later. (laughs) I No one told me this. Uh But yeah, so like thinking through some of the memories, like really unearthed some stuff for me, which was, which was really nice to work through via writing, actually. For me, writing is such a, um, it's a way to think through things and to explore different angles on things and to really dive into something that's just like sticking in my mind or making me uncomfortable or making me like go back to it over and over. And so it was really great to use writing as a tool to sort of like think through those memories feel those feelings and just like I don't know have a lot of empathy for myself one thing that I thought was really interesting as I was writing was that I found myself having so much empathy for these prophets and these figures in the Quran so there's a story for example about Prophet Muhammad and there's this instance in which he is approached by this poor man who wants to learn more about the Quran, but Muhammad is in a meeting with all these leaders from the tribe that he lives in. And so he turns away from the man and he frowns. And there's this chapter in the Quran where like God addresses that like head on being like, you shouldn't have done that. And it's a mistake that Muhammad made. And, and I don't know, I just like, I found myself having so much empathy for him and just, mm. I don't know, thinking about what that must have been like. He's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to talk to everyone, but also he does something that's kind of shitty and what it must have been like to be sort of like, called out by God. And having empathy for him also made me have empathy for myself Mm. because I found myself in situations where I've tried to do the right thing, but ended up bowing to the people in power. And 
I don't know. I think really reflecting on that story made me feel like, okay, you know, I did something. Maybe it wasn't great, but I learned from it. And it just like really helped me have empathy for my younger self, who was really figuring out how to be a person in the world. Totally. So thank you for naming that. I really feel like, you know, with any healing work, coming to this place of having compassion for our stories, for the how and why we were, for our younger selves, not just even within the lens of queerness, but really just like in any type of kind of adult moving through healing, like it's such a powerful tool. And so I really appreciate you sharing kind of how it was first helpful to find yourself finding compassion for some other figure. And that became this bridge to whether there were blocks to having compassion for yourself or you weren't aware, whatever that was, it then kind of helped shift that energy towards yourself. That's so beautiful. And I feel like I just want to really highlight that for folks to let sink in when we're in our own process of healing, like, oof, finding a way to be in relationship with their younger selves from that place of compassion is just, that is it. And I really, I felt that as a reader. Yeah, I feel like it's one of those things that it's a muscle that you have to really um, figure out how to use. And then you have to build the muscle memory of, of using it over and over, of practicing using it. And it's so much easier to do that with others than it is to do with yourself. But once you have that muscle and that framework in place, it can be easier to turn that onto yourself. To then give some space to also like in that compassion, recognizing, oh, I was up against a lot of stuff. I feel like your story is such one of like navigating anti-queerness, anti-transness, colorism, Islamophobia. Like there were so many things that you and your younger selves have had to navigate and still navigate. So I guess first off, yeah, what was it like for you to really tackle each of those parts of your story? And again, it really feels like these different essays were showing both what you were navigating, but then also alluding to the healing that you were doing kind of on the other side of it. What was it like for you to kind of dive into really tackling these different parts of what younger you was navigating? That's a really good question. It was really hard, but it was also really cool to see how far I've come in some ways, especially in terms of learning how to deal with things. I used to be someone who fought everyone all the time on everything. You know, that's actually like one of the chapters is about really learning to conserve my energy. And it's something that I definitely had to learn. Who do I want to fight with? Who do I want to build with? What sort of boundaries do I want to have around fighting? Who are the people that I really want to invest? in? What are the conversations that I want to invest in? I really had to learn how to do that. And, you know, I haven't mastered it yet. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I find myself in situations where I'm like, why am I fighting with this person? (laughs) What is this going to do? Yeah, it's one of the chapters, the one that's specifically about Eunice, who is also known as Jonah. And the story with him is that in the Islamic tradition, he leaves the community that he was sent to because he's like, I can't fight with these people anymore. And then he's on a ship and there's a storm and he jumps out and he gets swallowed by a whale. And I've always thought of that whale as punishment from God. Like, why did he leave? But one of the things that came up uh, in conversations with one of my friends is that what if that whale is actually just protection and he had to learn how to like have boundaries and respect them and really like respect himself. I think about that a lot in terms of navigating multiple marginalized identities. Where do I want to focus my energy and how can I organize and participate in movements in ways that feel generative and not like they come at a cost to me. Mm. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited you're here. I just find myself riddled with so many questions that I want to keep asking you. 
I'm also having this interesting experience as someone who's read your book and now hearing you retell different parts of it. It's fun to hear you talk about this thing that I was just, was selfishly, I'm having a great time. And so this is very cool. Thank you so much. Um, But okay, but like landing in, okay, it's a second adolescence podcast. We talk about this experience that queer people navigate of second adolescence. And in reading your book, there was definitely elements of very second adolescency components and energy that I found kind of different points. And before coming on in our correspondence, you mentioned that, yeah, this this is an idea that you talk about a lot. I'm curious, like, how has this idea come into your life and into your own kind of, like, how do you hold this idea of second adolescence and what has that meant for you and your own story? First of all, I love the idea of this podcast. I love the idea of second adolescence um, in general. Um, I think it really comes about because as queer people and as people with other marginalized identities, we just don't really have a lot of models for how to live our lives. You know, I'm old enough that You know, when I was growing up, I never saw any queer characters on TV. Reading a queer book was like so rare. And to me, the big salient point about this is that we just don't have a ton of elders. We don't have guides. We don't have models, you know, straight cis people grow up around other people all the time who just serve as like guides in some ways. And we just, we don't have that. And second adolescence is really this idea of trying to figure out how you want to live your life. Not that everyone figures it out in their first adolescence, but there's this particular way in which queerness lends itself, A, to like self-reflection and really having to navigate who you want to be as a person and how you want to live your difference. I think it's also really interesting because sometimes even in queer communities, there are, you know, like mainstream ways to be gay. And I think it's important for all of us. And it's something that a lot of us end up doing anyway, is just like really thinking through who we want to be, how we want to live. It's also a thing that happened for me a lot later in my life, my late 20s, I would say, first of all, because of this idea of models, but also because I feel like I had to really learn that it's okay to carve out my own path and I didn't have to be like everyone else in the sense that like, I didn't have to be like everyone else who was also different. It's been like this really powerful concept because it gives me the time and space to explore myself. And in some ways, I hope that I never, I never come out of it. I hope that I'm always someone who's growing and exploring and thinking through things and putting a lot of effort into how I want to live. It's definitely been a really powerful tool. And one of the best things about queerness, TBH, there are lots of great things about queerness, but... Well, yeah, say say a little bit more about that. One of the best things about queerness. I think one of the best things about being queer or having a marginalized identity is that it really, really forces you to think through life and relationships and be really intentional about those things. And, And again, like not everyone has this experience, but it's definitely been a source of those things for me. And I really think that's made my life richer. It's taught me to like let myself be messy in ways that feel really generative. Love that. Let myself be messy. Yeah, I mean, there's the compassion there too. And then I, yeah. talk, I talk with queer people a lot about, you know, in our second adolescence, we can have what I call these like necessary experiences, messy, but like also necessary experiences in order to grow, in order to kind of discover, in order to kind of push us through 
whatever blocks have been in our way, keeping us um, from living our most true and free lives. It gets messy when we're trying to learn how to be a person, but like navigate romance and sex and dating and like these experiences that many of us in adulthood are starting for the first time without a lot of practice. And so it can be really messy, but there's such power in having the approach like you have of really approaching that with some softness and tenderness for ourselves of like, yeah, like it's okay that it's messy. It's okay. It's part of the process. Also, I love the term necessary. That is my new favorite word. Yeah, I mean, it just, it feels so true. Cause like, I feel like, at least in my own story, when I was at the beginning of dating men for the first time in my mid twenties, I was fumbling. I felt Mm. very chaotic. I felt very messy. And I felt a lot of shame for feeling Mm. that way and for not knowing how to do certain things, not knowing how to make sense of how I'm feeling. It felt very chaotic. And there was a shame that got evoked there. And then, you know, as years went on, I realized like, oh, wait a minute, like those more tough situations and feelings, and even whether this is in a dynamic with me and someone else, or just me kind of learning how to be with my queerness, those were necessary to propel me forward in integrating my queerness into who I am in letting go of different shame. It's been a necessary part of my own evolution. And I see that happen with so many queer people, those I work with and those I talk with. I love the necessaries. They They hold such an important part in our stories. And they're also just such good ways to build empathy for others. Back to what we were talking about earlier, this whole idea of compassion and empathy is really a two-way thing. Having empathy and compassion for yourself allows you to have it for others and having it for others allows you to have it for yourself. And I think that having these experiences serves as a building block for being kind. So I really love that. You mentioned the process of writing in connection with your younger selves. You mentioned different things where I'm hearing there's been such healing that's happened in your own journey. I mean, your whole book really felt like such a story of healing in such a beautiful way. I'm curious if you could share what comes to mind within this idea of second adolescence. I often talk about it really being about healing and unlearning and letting go of and letting ourselves bloom in certain ways, like such a process of healing wondering if you could speak to what else has been helpful and healing in your own journey of getting to where you're at now. Wow. Let's figure out how to heal right here, right now. (laughs) Cool. I think writing has been a really, really huge part of it. Also, reading has been a really huge part of it. I think there's so much beautiful work out there by people like my queer writing ancestors come to mind. Audre Lorde, whose book Sister Outsider changed how I think about race, about sexuality, about speaking up, about power and about silence and anger. And then Leslie Feinberg, whose book Stonebutch Blues, I like borrow the title from and who writes just so beautifully about our queer ancestors living in the 40s, 50s, 60s, really having to deal with being at the intersection of labor movements, feminism, movements around gender, sexuality. I think reading has been a really huge part of it, just knowing of other people's stories and seeing how people have dealt with things. And then the other thing that has been really, really incredible for me has been community. It's really hard to do this work in isolation. I've gained so much from being around other queers, other Muslims, other people who are queer and Muslim or queer and Muslim-ish. Having intentional relationships and chosen family with who I can have conflict and know that they'll still be there or who I can navigate, you know, difficult things with together, bounce ideas off, talk to about things, or just 
have as models for living. Those have been three things that have been really, really huge in my journey. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, on that, on that last piece, like it makes me think about for so many of us, our wounding growing up was in relation ourselves in relation to others, whether that's direct relationships or community or culture. Like there's this interpersonal sense of the wounding. I think that's why for so many of us, perhaps in adulthood, finding this sense of connection with people where, you know, it's this interpersonal healing that happens for the interpersonal wounding that happens where we feel like many of us felt so othered in different ways growing up and felt not okay for feeling or being or whatever, however we were. And so by finding community where we can show ourselves, where we can have that reflected and mirrored back and supported and even encouraged to pull more of ourselves out. I feel like reading your story that could really see in a lot of the people in your life, those relationships became such great containers within which they could kind of challenge you. You could kind of challenge yourself. It was really cool to read those parts of your story. And I hear you kind of talking about that here really highlighting how important community has been in your life. And so, yeah, absolutely agree with that. It's my hope. It's tricky because, you know, a lot of people don't have direct access to finding like the exact community they're seeking. And I think that's what's so great about online spaces becoming a way for people to find and be in community, even in listening to stories like this and reading stories like yours. Like, I think there is a way to find community, even when we aren't able to have a quote unquote real life relationship with them. But okay, now I'm just going on a ramble. I just feel very much in support of what you shared. And thank you for sharing that. Gosh, I'm also wondering, there are different essays you wrote kind of in like the latter ends of the book as you were navigating kind of relationships and dating. And I'm wondering if you could share a bit, you know, that's always kind of a wild world for us. We're kind of diving into that, particularly in second adolescence, but for the first time, perhaps, like, how was that chapter in your story? Goodness. Oh my God, it was challenging. But you know, I don't back down from a challenge, which definitely helped. But you know, at some point it became, how many bad dates can I go on and tell my friends about? There's definitely an aspect of second adolescence to that. I didn't start online dating or even like dating, dating until like my late 20s. Um, and learning to navigate that was just, it was an interesting experience. I think it was also like, towards the beginning of apps and just like really like the kind of online dating that we know of now yeah. and like swiping and stuff like Tinder had just been a thing. Um, right. So it was a really interesting experience of learning to navigate those while also learning to navigate dating. There were lots of times that it felt like uh, one of the chapters is about how dating felt to me, like building an ark in the middle of the desert, like Noah is told to do. I don't know. There was this element of futility in it, but like also I, it felt like anticipation, like I was waiting for something to happen. It definitely led to a lot of great stories um, <laughs> to tell my friends. <laughs> totally. And in the book, I loved how, like, I don't want to give too much away, but like the whole kind of bad date number five, bad, like there's a, you, you sectioned it out in a really fun way as a reader to kind of get to be a little fly on the wall of that part of your experience, which was like, 
we have different lived experiences, but there are definitely elements of like, oh, I so, I so get this. I so have been there. And <laughs> I, I have conversations about bad dates and messy dates and kind of confusing it. Like all of it. Yeah. It's just felt so, felt it's so part of our experience. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that date where you're like five minutes in and you're like, this is not like, what am I doing with my life? Am I straight? That happened to me once. <laughs> no. <laughs> but like, spoiler, I was not straight. But yeah, it's uh, going back to this idea of like, we don't necessarily have models. We don't grow up watching people, you know, go on gay dates on TV or in books. And so it's confusing. And then there's so much of that, like, is this a date? Is it not a date? Or like, is this person gay or is this person straight? Um, Why are they flirting with me if they're also talking about their boyfriend? Um, Yeah. So again, like it's this idea of just like not having models and really having to figure out some of those things for ourselves. I I was really lucky. Um, I had a queer life mentor. I hope everyone has a queer life mentor to Mm. help them navigate the world of dating. But mine was is one of my favorite people in this world. And they were so patient with me and walked me through so much of what I needed to know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you were talking about kind of the lack of elders and ancestors, I was kind of going to remembering Mm. that person in your book, thinking about, wow, they really were holding that role in the way they could as being the person who's gone before and helping you kind of walk through. Yeah, I'm wondering if you could share a little bit with listeners about, yeah, how you came to find that person and, and more about what that relationship has been for you. I feel like they just dropped into my life. And (laughs) so I I met them at a a queer Muslim mixer and I just like felt this intense connection with them. And I literally like went up to them and was like, hey, can you be my queer life mentor? And they thought it was hilarious. (laughs) Because you said those exact words, queer life mentor. Yeah, exactly. No, (laughs) I I like actually call them my QLM, my queer life mentor. And they, they like secretly, not so secretly love it. But yeah, honestly, it's been such a joy having them in my life. And, and I think part of using that phrase like really solidified the role for them and they really like grew into it. They were like, okay, yeah, this is a thing that I am. So yeah, it's been really a joy having them in my life. They don't live in the same city as I do anymore, but I see them on a regular basis and I'm just... I'm just so grateful for their presence. Mm-hmm. I'm going to send them this podcast so that they know how much they mean to me. Oh, yeah. Shout out. I mean, that was so evident in, in reading the book, kind of what this person has been for you. Really, it's just so special and something I would, I would hope for for so many of us. And good for you for being like, okay, so you're going you're gonna to be this role <laughs> for me. You're coming in. I love it. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I want to talk with you all day, but I, I want to be sensitive to your time as well. But before looking at winding down, a couple last final questions. I guess first off, like, what's it like with the book out in the world? Like, how are you? How has it been? Because it came out, when when did it get officially published? Beginning of February, so almost okay. a month now, yeah. Wow, what has the last month been like for you? Honestly, it's been really overwhelming. Um, it, yeah. it feels like having a baby, you know? Totally. Yeah, just something that I wrote is out there in the world and people mm. are reading it. And I get a lot of really, really, really lovely messages from people on social media 
to whom, you know, it's meant a lot. So that's been really, really nice. Um, but yeah. yeah, it definitely feels really like vulnerable having the book out there in the world, um, having my friends read it, spare no words in telling me how they feel. Um, people have been really <laughs> positive. I was really scared that there would be a lot of sort of like negativity, but so far mm. there hasn't been that. So I'm really, really grateful for that. Yeah. Totally. And yeah, and I, I know you use a pseudonym for yourself and your work. And I'm wondering if that was maybe part of the apprehension too. And again, part of the reason kind of for writing under pseudonym. I wonder if you could just share with folks about that decision for you. Yeah. So I wrote it under a pseudonym because at the end of the day, I don't want to be Googleable. And yeah. again, it was like, you know, an exercise in having boundaries um, and just like really cool. thinking yep. through, you know, what are the things that I want to worry about that I don't want to worry about? That has been really great. It's also like really weird to write a memoir under a pseudonym. You know what I mean? It's like this mm. deeply personal thing. But then, you know, mm. um, in my headshots and stuff, you can't see my face. At some point, I realized that I didn't owe anyone my real name or my photo. Totally. And so, yeah, so that's been a really um, interesting experience. Um, but in mm. some ways, I think it allowed me to write this book because I'm so, or at least I was trying to be so deeply honest and vulnerable. And in some ways, I was able to write it in the way that I did because I wasn't worried about people knowing where I live. Totally. And the world is a hard, it's a hard world out there for queer people, for Muslim people, for queer Muslim people. Yes. So, yeah. And does the name mean anything for you? And feel free to keep it private if so, but I'm curious how you came to find the name. You know, that's a really good question that I don't think I've been asked before, um, but I really mm. love the story. So I'm going to tell it to you. When I was growing up, my mom would tell me and my brother these stories about how she wanted to give us these names. But um, my grandma sort of swooped in and said, nope, that is not going to be your kid's name. I'm going to name your kid. This is going to be your kid's name. And so... I always like grew up thinking, and the name my mom wanted to give me was Lamia. And so I grew up being like, oh, who would I have been if I was named Lamia? And so when I came to sort of like choosing a pseudonym, it felt very appropriate because it felt like, yeah, it felt like a way to explore who this other person that I had simultaneously grown up with was. Mm, wow. Oh, cool. Yeah. And really powerful to give this name, to give this part of yourself the space to really be and in such like a true authentic way you're telling your story with this name being so linked to that there's something so wow like I get a little goosebumpy hearing that wow that's very cool and a little nod to my mom yeah well I'm sensitive to your time so before winding down was curious if there's anything else that wanted to be a part of the conversation today that hasn't been shared yet I don't think so. Those were some really lovely questions. Thank you so much. It was so nice to talk about the book and reflect on the healing aspect of it. So thank you so mm. much for your really lovely questions and framing. Good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you you found it enjoyable. Again, I was very excited and nervous before this conversation because I truly, oh. and I'm not just like fluffing you up. I, I loved your writing in the book. And so this has been just such a treat. And I'm so excited to get to share this conversation with my community and have as many folks as possible pick up the book, learn from your story, be with your story. And I just feel really grateful that you decided to write it and invite us all into it. Thank you so much for reading so thoughtfully. Mm. Well, with that, I'm going to let you go. Do what you got to do. This has been so lovely. And well, actually, one question I always ask is if folks who are listening want 
to connect and to share how kind of share anything after listening to this or reading your book you mentioned you've been enjoying getting dms is that an okay place for people to connect with you on Instagram or what's the best place? Yeah, absolutely. I'm on Instagram and Twitter and my handle on both is at Lamia is angry. L-A-M-Y-A-I-S-A-N-G-R-Y. Wow. I can't spell when (laughs) under pressure turns out. (laughs) All good. All good. I'll link to all that in the show notes. People will be able to find it easily as well as a link to your book. And again, this was so special. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, thanks for joining us for today's conversation. Feel free to head on over to secondadolescencepod.com for show notes and more. And you can connect further by following the show on Instagram at at secondadolescencepod. If you're interested in being a future guest on the show and you want to come on and share about your own second adolescence, visit secondadolescencepod.com slash be a guest and you can submit your interest there. All right, that's it for me for now. Whether it's morning, afternoon, night, wherever we're finding you in your day, go on out there and keep doing things that would make younger you absolutely thrilled. That is what it's all about. Mm. All right, take good care. <laughs>